You are listening to the Super Freak Media Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, please be sure to show your support and follow us on our other social media platforms. Check out the links listed in the description of this episode to find out more. Thank you. Only in recent years have we seen mouthy, slutty people who are still decent people and survive in the horror film. That used to not be the case. Oh, you're a slut? You're going to die now. That's the soundbite for this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to the They're Queer podcast, the podcast where two homos called Liam delve into the world of horror and look for the twinkly gay sparkly bits. (laughs) (laughs) We have a very special episode this week. Before we delve into that, as you know, my name is Liam J. And you are? I am Liam B. (laughs) I'm here as well. Here I am. Here we are. Yes! Yeah, welcome to the podcast this month. This is a very special month. It's Women in Horror Month. So we thought we'd do something amazing and get our first full co-host onto the podcast. So without further ado, we have the wonderful Mariam Drago on the podcast. Hello. How are you? I am fantastic. I have you two guys in front of me. Uh, Could it be any better? I mean, maybe, yes. But that is not what I'm here to talk about. We have Henry Cavill in here as well. Yes, Daddy! Yeah. It's under my table, though. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, that it was- started already. This podcast is going downhill already. Jeez Louise. Oh, keep the standard going. I love it. Absolutely. If the bar's so low when we begin, then uh, where can we go? Only up from here. <laughs> but uh, thank you so, so much for hopping on to the podcast. I know that you're an incredibly busy woman and I've been meaning to catch up with you for ages. It's been a while, I think, since we, we last spoke. I think, was mm. it back in 20, 2020 it would have been? Yeah, or, yeah. Funny, yeah. Yeah. So, um, perfect see- year to meet each other. <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> mid uh, COVID pandemic. <laughs> we uh, we got together and uh, we did a bit of an interview for the, the Dead of Night Film Festival, which yeah. was cool. And uh, yeah, I've been keeping up with you ever since. So we had a bit of a chat before the podcast started, and I want to make sure that we get your introduction right because you are a woman of many talents and. Your title, as you've told us, is cross-media horror producer. So what exactly does that involve? (laughs) Well, uh, it means that I'm, uh, as a producer, responsible for many things, uh, but mostly making sure an idea turns into an actual project uh, and everything that belongs to that. Um, But rather than focusing on one form of media and having the occasional horror project, I've told myself, well, horror storytelling is not just something I'm passionate about, but it's very specific. There, there's, It's a very, it's got its own community. It's got its own stories. It's got its own stylistic means. So I've specialized in the genre and therefore I work with different forms of media, whether it's film, series, video games, literature, theater, uh, <laughs> Or, or you know, holograms, 3D mapping. <laughs> really the list anything. goes on. The list goes on. If it's a way to consume it, I'm sure I'll figure out 
a way to to make it part of the marketing strategy of an IP. Amazing. I have to start off by being a little fanboy uh, because I discovered Mariam through um, the Grim Exchange on Grimfest TV uh, on YouTube, which is an incredible series. And if anyone's listening, please go and watch it. What you've created over there is... It's, it's quite game-changing because it's not something that I feel like we've really had before. So to be able to have like this great news show that also goes a bit deeper than just like surface-level news is is absolutely incredible. And it's a real love story to horror, which I just love. No, I, that means a lot. Everyone who works on it is so in love with horror and and we are all interested in different subgenres. So we don't all like the same stuff, but mm-hmm. we all love the genre as a whole and uh and like you said it's it's not just surface level the episodes are quite meaty they're quite long they take a while mm-hmm. to research but we wanted to create something that we as audience members would enjoy uh, yeah. watching and if that comes across it's perfect i mean we definitely need to get you guys on as as <laughs> guest hosts on, i would on love that, that. Love that. <laughs> it's, it's been recorded so you've officially asked us now we're, we're not gonna let you uh, forget about that <laughs> no it's absolutely right what you said i mean you can tell it's made by fans for the fans and i think when we first spoke and got to know each other it was something you were talking about it was starting up and it's it's just amazing to see what it's kind of bloomed into Mm. i think it's it's really good i know you're you're a big fan aren't you liam so in preparation when well when liam told me that you were coming on i was like quite excited so i've gone back and i've like i've rewatched every single episode and i'm like, like yeah so if you do get a little bit of ad revenue you are welcome but um <laughs> we were having a quick chat before this and there's an episode in particular the well-being and horror episode which i found it was quite mind-blowing to me because it's not really even though i do use horror myself as an escape it's not something i've really thought about quite deeply and the way that you you explored it was just incredible because you didn't make it even though it was quite theoretical, it was easy to digest, which is what I need. <laughs> I need good things given to me <laughs> and sim- in, quite simply. So yeah, that's... Um... Well, well, the thing is, when it comes to horror and, and mental health, there are two directions that are really important to, to consider. First of all, the correct consumption of horror. I always say not every horror film is for every horror fan. Mm -hmm. Not every horror fan can watch every film on any given day. You know, how are we feeling that day? What are we up to? What are we used to? Um, What's it like in a group? Is there peer pressure? Are we being insensitive? Does someone have personal experiences that make horror films may be difficult, a particular one uh, may be difficult for them to watch. There mm-hmm. are studies out there that show that um, if you are in the right mindset, it's extremely good for your psychology and for your mental health. But if you're not, a horror film can have similar effects to PTSD. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that we look after each other and look after ourselves um, and that's something I, I talk about a lot as well when um, I, I hold talks on horror for children, for example, uh, which is a very delicate thing. And I'm a, a big fan of introducing scary stories to, <laughs> to youngsters. But I will say that there are different age groups that process different things 
uh, on on various levels, which is something that needs to that we need to be aware of. But the best way for for youngsters to consume it is in literature, because when you read a kid a, a spooky book, and it, it can even be a spooky fairy tale. We don't have to go as far as to yeah. say yeah. you're reading like Friday the Thirteenth, the book. <laughs> Let's not go that far, but, you know, it's a spooky kid's book. Um, But when you're reading that book, you have, the kid has the chance to say they don't want to hear anymore. Mm -hmm. The kid has Mm -hmm. the chance to, you know, read it itself, but then stop reading when it's too much. And even looking at that process, those are early uh, ways of teaching your kid to gain independence for their self and what they can handle and what where their boundaries are. And I think we all remember maybe looking at a really creepy VHS cover or book cover or depending on your age, maybe a Blu-ray cover. I don't know. <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, but, uh, Look at that record. (laughs) But like looking at a creepy picture and then staring at it, finding it uncomfortable, but also fascinating. And that process is something that literature is, is really lends itself to when it comes to young people. But even as adults, you know, we need to make sure we train ourselves and we're smart about it. And when we recommend horror films to other people, I convert people to horror all the time. <laughs> yes, but you're doing the Lord's work. When they ask me, well, what should I watch? I don't go, what? Well, this is the bloodiest worst <laughs> film I've ever seen. Watch it. I ask them, well, yeah. what films do you usually watch? These are crossovers of that genre with horror. So yeah. you like rom-coms? Well, go watch Warm Bodies. You know, it's <laughs> like you find the right um, the right mix. So that's yeah. the one thing to to pay attention to. And the and the other the other direction you go with psychology and horror is the direction of um, coping mechanisms. Uh, you know, we spoke before this episode of how a lot of people who have anxiety feel drawn to it. There are studies and papers out there um, because it's fear in a controlled environment. You know, when it's done, you turn off the TV and you might have some thoughts, but generally yeah. the, the actual threat is gone and you're experiencing fear in portions. So you can train those coping mechanisms. So, you know, when something does happen, you understand what to do with your body to keep cool. Um, and a lot of films, most films also have rules. It's not as randomly tragic as real life can be. Mm-hmm. There are rules that you play by. And and it's it's so complicated. It wouldn't be fair for me to try to sum <laughs> it up in just a few minutes. But but yeah, it's a it's it's really important to uh, to read up about it and to have more awareness about what we consume and what we recommend um, and a big part of horror is also about seeing the perspective of other people, that foreign perspective, yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of empathizing with other lives and other people through the medium of, of horror. So, yeah, it's a really it's a complex, <laughs> very fascinating topic. I think that's you've you've hit the nail on the head there really. I mean, that was kind of what formed the basis of this podcast anyway, was to kind of really give a voice to the fact that for a queer audience in particular, there's so much to take from these characters, these archetypes and these tropes of the genre. And I think horror is unique in the way that it does have these kind of rules that are so easily identifiable and um yeah I, I mean i've completely never looked at it that way before and thought oh well this is maybe why horror is so comfortable for me 
because it's something I recognise and it's familiar. It's funny as well that you say about literature being a way for kids to get into horror because um, if I speak personally about how I got into it um, as a horror fan and as a horror filmmaker, it was mainly through Goosebumps and it was those eye-catching covers. It was, I don't know, it was those stories that you could you made the stories come alive in your mind at night when you were supposed to be asleep. It it was that whole idea of that. It's just magical. Yeah. And on the subject, uh, big <laughs> congratulations to R.L. Stein, who absolutely. this week secured that Disney money. <laughs> I'm I'm absolutely over the moon because I feel like I feel like R.L. Stein doesn't get the props that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to, I really, I've spoken about this before. I really love accessible horror for younger audiences. That's why I really like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I mm-hmm. think it's an incredible film. Uh, the Goosebumps series, and uh, not a lot of people credit um, my hero and my idol, but Neil Gaiman to me mm-hmm. is uh, a great starting off um, gateway for young. Like if you read Coraline, that's a brilliant gateway into into horror for me. But yeah, I agree with the literature side of things, especially I, I will talk about Neil Gaiman until the day is long. So it's not a Neil Gaiman podcast, but <laughs> if you aren't listening by any chance, uh, I love you. <laughs> well, you, you spoke obviously about rules and things in horror. And obviously, as we said, this whole episode is really a celebration of women in horror. And I think as a genre, it's a very unique one where I think I'd argue women are at the forefront of it and they have been. For, for decades and that's what's maybe made the genre stand out so we wanted to talk about scream queens so not necessarily the final girl or the the protagonist in a slasher film that we we maybe know and love but more maybe some strong female characters that are particularly resonated with us and i believe we've all brought someone to the table that we maybe want to have a bit of a chat about um oh. <laughs> um, but I so, did bring something to say about Scream Queens that maybe you'll like. Maybe you'll realize, but I'm totally prepared. Yeah. That's it. Podcast okay. over. We're done. No. <laughs> um, but I don't know, Liam, if you want to, to kick things off, because I know that yeah. you've got a special one that you've been wanting to talk about yeah. for a while now. So, so yeah, I, um, I would... I'd feel ashamed if I didn't mention Kirsty Cotton at all when it comes to talking about female characters in horror films, because I always feel like Kirsty Cotton gets forgotten about quite easily. A lot of people will say that Pinhead's the reason why the, like, the Hellraiser franchise is so what it is. I mean, that is part of it. For, but to me, the person I latched onto was was Kirsty, especially in the second film, in the second Hellraiser film. She's like Ripley to me in that film, not to bring up someone else, but like when she dons Julia's skin to then like take take on these lords of hell, I was just like, oh, what what, what can she queen. not? Yes, queen. She's just incredible. <laughs> but what I really love about Kirsty as well is she makes mistakes in the film that she's completely human in the mistakes she makes, but mm. ultimately the mistake she makes ends up like saving the day. So it's like, she's, she's ultimately flawed, but she's like perfect in her flaw, if that makes yeah. any sense at all. And as a big comic book fan, I was really happy when I started to read the Boom Studios continuation of the Hellraiser franchise. Spoilers for anybody who hasn't read them. <laughs> They really expand on the mythos and Kirsty becomes the new pinhead and um, becomes the new Archduke of Hell. And it, it works so well. I mean, visually it looks beautiful, but um, I know that Clive Barker had a lot of input into 
the comics as well. And just the way that Kirsty becomes like, I mean, just the embodiment of agency to me. She's just a hundred percent. I can't put into words anymore. I've prepared all this. I'm just, I'm just gushing over Kirsty Cotton now. Why not? Why not? Making the old demon jealous. <laughs> I mean, I will say the Hellraiser films are probably the, out of the franchises. It's probably one that I'm the least familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, yeah, her character did. I recently rewatched uh, the first one, just I think off the back of one of our episodes. Um, and I do, I know what you mean. The character is is a, a good character to get behind. Um, but is it just? Is it because uh, what is it about her that that you respond to well, so well? Um, I was thinking my favorite Disney princess <laughs> somewhere else is is Snow White, and it always ha- always has been. And with Snow White, you've got the trope of the wicked stepmother coming in and taking yeah. over and ruining everyone's life, and she turns out to be an evil old hag. And Hellraiser's just Snow White with chains. You know what I mean? <laughs> A bit of leather and chains. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I think that's why I really latched onto her when I first watched it because I could see the parallels there. But I think it's again she's she's really not to like drive the point home too much. She's like really pure of heart as well. Like yeah. that her motivations are ultimately to to save her family, which is which is really beautiful. A moment of silence yeah. <laughs> on the podcast. Um, what about you, Mariam? Is there is there any Scream Queen in particular that you, I don't know, you identify with or you find easy to get behind in, in well, many ways? There, there are lots of Scream Queens that I'm very fond of. And I, I feel like generally, whether they end up surviving or not, there's something super cool about that person standing up and and uh and fighting the evil mm-hmm. uh, one one person I, I like to remind people was a final girl slash um scream queen but she's gone on to do other things is um jada pinkett smith who played in demon knight uh and her character is is completely lost and you know not to make this about um people of, of of color or who are just simply not white but it's something that is is hard to kind of see in the landscape and mm-hmm. jada pinkett smith plays a very i want to say tomboyish kind of person but she's obviously flawless in how she naturally looks and she is a very you know committed actress but um but seeing her interact with the cast and you know the 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 very charming uh, demon and and everyone else scurrying around and trying to survive uh, and then she's there and she's just this tiny dainty tough cookie uh i mean i'm short i'm i'm not as as dainty as jada pinkett smith but <laughs> there's something cool about seeing that little ball of energy just giving this this demon a run for his money and uh yeah, I feel like I, if I if I had to name one just to remind people uh, of how awesome she is and how awesome that character was, you know, the, that would be one that that I would probably name. Um, but once uh, Liam B has has named his, I would generally like to talk to you guys about the the term "scream queen" as well because mm. that mm. 
something we could debate. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I uh, when I came to my choice, I didn't want to necessarily pick a final girl. I mean, I could, uh, I think I said this to you before, Liam, I could talk un- until for- forever about Jamie Lee Curtis just in general, but also Laurie Strode, just absolute queen icon, everything that you could possibly want, I feel, in a strong female lead in a horror film. Um, but I decided to maybe go for... A scream queen, and I say that with, uh, with obviously the, the finger gesture, um, uh, of Annie Graham in Hereditary, who's played by Tony Collette. And yeah. I think the reason I went for, for that is one, the film in itself just stands out as probably one of the greatest films I've had the pleasure of being able to experience as it came out and kind of what's happened afterwards. But also, I just think the performance, I mean, we spoke about earlier, uh, kind of how horror, is maybe a safe place for people to tackle their own mental health issues. I think it's also a genre where we're able to explore stories that even some gritty dramas don't delve into. And I mean, Hereditary packs a punch. You've got this matriarch of this family, obviously trying to hold everything together after her mother's died, the loss of her daughter, the loss of everything basically going around her. And yeah I mean just performance wise I just found it impeccable the fact that she didn't win or even get nominated for like BAFTAs and Oscars is shameful to me I did look I think one of the highest accolades she got was a Fangoria Chainsaw Award in 2019 which well deserved Um, but it must have been such a joy for her as an actor to kind of get to play in that that sandbox of just emotion and, and horror and everything as an audience as well I just I found it just insanely insanely good that for me is is why i love some of the the characters that we get who are female in horror so much that's a great choice and i also you know i think about this a lot the the mainstream recognition the pop culture recognition of horror because it's something that is generally debated a lot i personally and i'm gonna i'm very open about my theory i think that uh that hollywood uh is trying to keep horror uncool because the profit margin on horror films is so high compared to other genres absolutely ever gets too cool then too many people will be making horror films and maybe they won't be making as much money off of them (laughs) uh so they're kind of playing it down but it's it's almost like this i mean it, it it can't it can't be that that horror is not <laughs> recognized for for everything it does and uh yeah i actually wanted to add this little little fun fact uh when you mentioned snow white and i i had to double check to make sure i wasn't uh telling a fib but um snow white when it first came out um in the 1930s was actually considered a horror film and mm-hmm. apparently there are certain shots in it that um are inspired by Nosferatu and the cabinet of Dr. Yeah. Kelly Garvey and and other other uh, classic horror films as well. So it was also you know one of my personal <laughs> favorites as a child, not knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, you have to eat her heart. How else will you know yeah, <laughs> This is what I mean. When you said about um, fairy tales being a gateway, I was like, they're some of the most disturbed and effed up stories that you have out there. Well, that's the thing. When it comes to horror, generally, you're either looking at it for a lesson or you're looking at it for escapism. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes it's a little bit of both. And R.L. Stein, for example, has said in several interviews that he loves the idea of escapism. He doesn't want it to be real. He doesn't want you as a child to have to deal with the fact that maybe your parents are getting a divorce, you know, go mm-hmm. to killer puppets, you know, that sort of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, 
But then the fairy tales are like, oh, no, no, we don't want you to escape. We want you to be even more scared of it. (laughs) Um, I think that that segues nicely then into maybe talking a bit more about, uh, as you said, debating the term Scream Queen, Final Girl, maybe more of the theory then that is behind some of these tropes and the way in which we're exposed to to women in horror. So I don't know, Mariam, if you want to kick things off, uh, I feel like you've probably got a lot more to say than we do coming from a female perspective as well. Well, I I mean, these are things that I had to have explained to me as well, because I am not a screen queen or a final girl. <laughs> I am just a fan who somehow makes money off of it. But uh, but I was uh, I had this conversation with um, with Kelly Maroney. Um, she played in Night of the Comet and uh, Chopping Mall. Love that film. Love, love both of those films. <laughs> and uh, and she's also you know not only incredibly beautiful but she's very smart as well and i i talked mm-hmm. to her about it um and and she said it's it's interesting because the so a lot of people even to this day a lot of actresses don't like those terms mm. but it has more of a um of a historical context because she said back in the day you could make one horror film if you were an actress maybe two and you'd still have an acting career yeah the moment you were considered a horror actress no one would book you anymore that was Mm -hmm. it that was the end of your career and so being called a scream queen or being called a final girl was insulting and a death sentence for you know wanting to get work and she said everyone all the actresses felt that way at the time Mm. but that has completely shifted and she said the people who gave us those names are not people insulting us anymore they're fans now they're people Mm. celebrating scream queens and celebrating final girls and because it comes from a place of love now the term is one that comes from a place of love yeah and it's not as negative as it used to be now i heard this for the first time it was completely plausible without naming names i have introduced or interviewed actresses who did not want me to bring up those words in our interview and they mm. were adamant about it and i was like sure yeah that's fine you know i always prep these interviews and i make sure everyone's comfortable but some of them were cool and at some point i just had to ask why what's going on like i want to know how to handle this yeah uh, I talk to people when I'm featuring these people and that was the explanation I got. So that was pretty cool. I think that is interesting because I think, yeah, you could, I think the the term itself has evolved over obviously time. I think, you know, when I think of like Scream Queens and I think back to maybe like the 80s and or even the 70s, it was very much more of an exploitative time for horror and Scream Queens you associated with just being like these token characters who were there to be disposed of um, and they literally screamed and then died. Whereas now, I, I don't know, I personally, when I think of the, the, the term Scream Queen, I think more about powerful women in horror but i suppose that's my perspective of it i i think about strong women um the final girl obviously is a more recent term that that was coined um but i know liam you have a few you have a few thoughts about that as well because i know we we briefly delved into it in the last episode on scream didn't we yeah i always feel like i'm not obviously i'm not the the correct answer or the wrong answer this is just my thoughts and mine comes from a place of it kind of sets a rule in horror 
um, where you think of like the slasher genre when it's it's you have to have a final girl, and then the final girl comes with certain expectations and certain standards to it, and I feel like it's then perceived by fans to be revolutionary that it broke the mold or it seems to go too far beyond what a final girl is mm. for for people to enjoy it and then i feel like certain films then get overlooked because of that but also i feel like and not to i hate to be like that person uh quote unquote but i feel like we're living in an age now where that term just to me just doesn't seem as inclusive <laughs> and that's why i like mm. queen because even though queen is a is a gen- gendered term it's it's not fitting it's like girl you know girl yeah. isn't as coded as queen is yeah and it's just so i i work with a lot of young teenagers and luckily we've like had this bond like we bonded from the first time i met them uh, because a lot of them love horror as well. So I was like, incredible. I, I know what to talk to them about. And one of them said, oh, I really love slasher films. That That's my favourite genre, but I don't like the term final girl. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, I, I use the term quite a lot. And mm. then they were just saying to me, they went, well, growing up, I had the word girl thrown at me all the time. And I feel mm. like that's something I'm never going to be able to aspire to now because they're the characters that they look up to. And then they were saying, that's why I prefer the term screen queen, because anyone can be royalty. Eat it up and crown it. That is incredible. I love that. I'm going to get that printed somewhere. And that was such yeah, a great that was a That was a 13-year-old <laughs> who completely changed and blew my mind that day. Yeah, consider it. They've just changed mine and my perspective completely. I mean, delving into the... the the theory side of things uh, obviously the term final girl um it is obviously particularly in slashers but not exclusively referring to the last girl or woman who would be alive to confront the antagonist at the end and survive most of the time but also not guaranteed visually then the film would be told from her perspective it may initially start that we kind of come at it from the killer we're we're kind of watching these people get off and then we shift our perspective over to the final girl Uh, and she is this figure who's resourceful she knows something's wrong and she is the one who's going to sort out this problem it was carol j clover who coined the term then in the book men women and chainsaws uh, gender in the modern horror film and i actually had the pleasure of reading as much as I could while I was at uni of this because uh, I did my dissertation on gender in horror uh, but my focus was more on Carrie because I felt that side of horror was more interesting than maybe the slasher side of things I felt like it had been done before but it is interesting to see that obviously this term this was coined I believe way back in the early 90s it was like 92 or so that we got this term and when we think like now the final girl has become meta in itself. We had the likes of Scream and and when I think of like uh, Ready or Not, You're Next, these films where we have these expectations, but they're almost kind of, the the director's given us a nod and a wink um, to say, this is this is your final girl. So yeah, I, I find it interesting that the person that you spoke to didn't find it the most inclusive, <laughs> but I, I, I get it completely. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's why it resonates with queer audiences quite a lot as well because these characters are usually ostracized in some way aren't they and it's more than just that i mean it, i mean the the wording girl i think that's where the issue is but the, mm. the the interesting part about the character of the final girl is that and and as a woman i can see that for a very long time female characters were either the lover the mother uh or you know the potential victim slash victim yeah and uh and the final girl character was a character that really 
didn't need to be female. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about that that will to survive, to take all your knowledge and skill from, from your entire life and use them to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a gender-specific um, journey to be on or, or, or challenge to, to overcome, um, which, you know, I find quite interesting. And they always say a lot of these final girls are very tomboyish. They have a father who is in the military, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and to me, yeah, the character, I mean, it depends on the film specifically, but that journey is very specific and was kind of for a long time for, for girls and women, at least that one character that proved I'm more than just a girl, like I can fight back. I'm being underestimated but these days obviously people are experimenting a lot more with roles for all genders and gender identities still you know women are not quite where they need to be yet Mm. um that said you know now the lgbtq plus community needs to have more representation um that's something that's on the rise. So, yeah. you know, maybe the term is outdated or should be used ironically, perhaps. Yeah. But that, that character, that journey, that is very inclusive, in my opinion. I will say, like, one, like, I spoke a lot in the last episode about one of my favorite final girls, um, Scream Queens, just being Gail Weathers. And I feel like <laughs> when Gail Weathers came along, it kind of flipped everything on its head once again. I won't go too much into it and tread old water, but the fact is Gail at the time was this character who wasn't apologetic about being the quote-unquote bitch. She wasn't Mm -hmm. scared to be headstrong. She wasn't scared to be disliked. She ultimately had heart, but she wasn't villainized for her ambition, which Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I, I could... You'd know. Listen to the screen episode if you want to hear more on that. No, but, but it, it's it's a very interesting phenomenon because um, generally women in in films in general, not just horror, being being villainized is something that happened post-war because whilst mm. their men were away, women had to become more independent. And when they came back and suddenly these men saw their independent, strong women who really didn't necessarily need them anymore, that was terrifying. And so mm-hmm. that was processed <laughs> in meeting at the time uh, through femme fatales, you know, who were yep. You know, strong and sexy, <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> What's your point? But but for a very long time, that's how it was portrayed. You know, if you mm. are smart and independent and strong, then you're bad. Because even the final girls who started before this this uh, you know demonization of, of the strong woman, final girls started before that movement ended, and uh, and the only way we allow we could allow it was because they were generally mousy beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, Only in recent years have we seen mouthy, slutty people who are still decent people and survive in the horror film. Absolutely. That used to not be the case. Oh, you're a slut? You're going to die now. And now it's like, (laughs) oh, you're a slut? Tell me a joke and kill this demon for us, please. (laughs) (laughs) That's the soundbite for this episode. Absolutely. (laughs) Love that. But yes, it's a huge shift. It's a huge shift. We we obviously touched upon all the aspects of horror other than the final girl. But I think, yeah, you, you did, you either basically being female in a, in a horror movie maybe prior to to the late 70s 80s you were monstrous and if it was uh, if i don't know the the films that were about women when they entered womanhood this is where this monstrosity was unleashed and 
I, like you said, there was this overlap where then slasher films began. But it, it is curious to to think that I don't know. We have to see these characters go on this journey and almost be purged of all of these characteristics that a male-dominated audience might find unruly or not not pleasant in order to then survive this ordeal. And they have to be, I mean, they're held to standards that, I mean, I think that's why it maybe has evolved is by today's standards and obviously society, uh, we have different ideas, obviously, uh, sexual freedom, liberation, everything. These are all topics that I'm glad that we are talking about. Um, but I think that's obviously reflected in horror as well. So I don't know. It throws up a lot of interesting questions as to why I think on one side, I see it as a very positive thing that we have these strong women in horror. And I think coming from a queer perspective, I've always identified with that. But on the flip side of that, I find it very, very curious that we have to put these women through so, so much in order to get the conclusion that we're so familiar with. Well, I do think that we're we're slowly getting to a place where the focus is on the character and the story and the story of a person mm -hmm. doesn't need to be tied to their gender. Mm -hmm. Not because we are a man, do we want to react like this? Not mm -hmm. because we are a woman, do we need to react like that? There mm -hmm. people always complain of how, you know, for a revenge film, uh, it takes, you know, John Wick losing his dog, but it'll take another character hours of, of, of <laughs> sexual abuse to yeah. Same sort of revenge, and, Absolutely. and and that's something that we've we've had a lot in the past and still have now. But I do think that the big reason why we're shifting in a new direction, and, and I'm going to take you on like a, a whole chain of events. <laughs> Technology has made it possible for films to be made by people who are not tied to huge studios. Mm -hmm. That means we have a lot more independent filmmaking, especially when it comes to the horror genre, because in horror, the storytelling is always the core. It's not the pyrotechnics or the or the CGI or the, the, the actor with the big name. It's the yeah. story. And as long as you have independent content creators they can come up with something that's relevant now to them to society and they can pull in their friends and pull in their resources and they can make that film now yeah and because of that you have more genuine raw unique stories that are very specific and leave that cookie cutter model because they don't care about the risk mm -hmm. and with yeah. that being the case at the moment and also moving forward uh we're going to see in my opinion more stories like that and anyone who's listening i encourage if you're a content creator if you're a creative go and do something write your story whatever that may be because in horror if it means something to you it means something to the community and yeah. and and we will feel the difference we will feel if it's heartfelt or not so we're not quite there yet but i i think we're on the best track of of creating an even playing field for all genders I just want to say honestly, I could just listen to you talk for hours. That was that was honestly <laughs> incredible. I, mean, was, I was getting chills there when you were you were saying that. I was just like, geez. Um, but no, I think you're absolutely right. I think the more that the system is broken, the more progress we'll see. Um, and I'm I'm excited to see where horror goes ultimately. Um, but not to just celebrate obviously the women on screen I think there's a lot happening behind the scenes there's a lot of female directors I, I'm keeping my eye on and I'm inspired by I can tell you that um 
So occasionally I do do panels on women in horror and female icons in horror. And Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago in preparation, I found a statistic by the Gina Davis Institute that when it comes to dialogue distribution, uh, horror has about 52 to 53 percent female dialogue and the rest male. Um, And it was at the time, at least um, the only genre where females carried a majority of the dialogue on screen. In no other genre was that the case. And when it comes to the audience, I mean, if if any of you have been to horror film festivals, it is very distributed. It is yeah. not. I mean, obviously, I guess it depends on the event, but the ones <laughs> I go to, yeah, um, they're very even. And I, I once did a, a panel in Liverpool uh, in cooperation with the Liverpool Horror Club on Uh, women in horror. And on this panel, I had a woman who managed horror-themed bands. I had someone who worked in film distribution. I had an actress and I had a director. And then we had clips from people who are somewhere else in the world and then uh, replied to certain um, answers in an interview beforehand. And um, so the, the spin on that event was I only got sponsors from the tech industry um, and some independent female uh, entrepreneurs to do goodie bags, but got a lot of tech sponsors. And I got them because I went there, I showed them these statistics and I said, hard does a really good job. And this is the genre where allegedly women are supposed to be half naked and stabbed down in every single (laughs) film. And that is not the case sometimes. Because sometimes that's what we want to see, but not always. <laughs> uh, and uh, and the tech industry has an issue with gender distribution. So you sponsor us, and you will not be disappointed. <laughs> and uh, and they found that you know compelling enough, and they they all sponsored everyone I had a sit down with, and um, we completely sold out. We had several hundred people at the event, and. It was a very open dialogue about what's going well, what's going not well, how we could translate that to other industries. And then in the end, uh, something I ask, because obviously we're always very focused on the the actors and the directors, but it takes a village to make a film. Um, I asked, you know, look, you've got like tech people in the audience. What tech should they be inventing to help with gender equality? Mm -hmm. And they had come up with different ideas, like different platforms or how to market things. One of the things that I threw into the mix was, you know, cameras should be lighter. I know a lot of women who wanted to become DPs, but before you can be a DP, you need to be a camera operator. And that equipment is heavy. (laughs) So they had to give up and became photographers instead because the technology was just more than they could handle. And you don't think about these things, but it influences the playing field. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to to see where that goes. But um, but yeah, open dialogues, I think, are the way to go. I mean, even you just mentioning stuff like that, it's stuff as as a male filmmaker, I just completely would over overlook somewhat. But if you don't mind me interjecting really no, quickly. No, by all means. So, um, <laughs> I, really, so I, I haven't really mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm a huge comic book fan, um, have been since a very young age. And I'd, horror comics have never really been my thing. I've, I've, I'm too much of an X-Men person because obviously... I'm gay. Hi, gays. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've been really getting into some horror comics lately, and it's really great. I was reading an article where the, the there's a big shift in horror comics at the moment too, 
where a lot of more female creatives are getting getting and looking where it's it's never been done before it's it, it has but it's not to the extent it is now but on the off chance that marjorie lou isn't listening to this marjorie lou creates this comic called monstrous i highly recommend to anyone out there marjorie lou is a it's just a fantastic comic book author a little bit of everything uh, she is incredible speaking of comics as well i also think that comics often get overlooked when we're talking about the horror genre. I read a lot, not just books, but I'll give myself a couple of hours a week to read some comics just in general. And it made me think of my favourite crossover from the superhero genre and when the horror genre is it's Uncanny X-Men 143. And it's about, it's a very early story uh, about Kitty Pride being stuck in the X-Mansion, being chased by a Ningari demon. And it's very much uh, in the style of Alien. Uh, obviously, Kitty was the inspiration for many other Final Girl and Scream Queens from then on out. But if anybody wants to read a really good comic book that kind of like has that Final Girl element to it, it's Uncanny X Men One Four Three. It's just incredible. Fantastic tip. I'm also uh, looking at because uh, you mentioned it, monstrous, and the artwork is, is stunning. Yeah. Well- taking goodness marjorie well done (laughs) (laughs) look at you go (laughs) while we're still on the subject of of women in horror then as i i said before you guys jumped on the episode we're gonna have a bit of fun on this episode as well while we're talking about scream queens i want to test your knowledge as to whether or not you can identify the scream queen purely from the sound of their lungs (laughs) so no (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, gonna play you. I have, uh, I believe, ten sound oh. clips. Very short. Don't worry. Um, and I have a bonus one just in case you guys are tied. But I think I might play it anyway. Okay. Um, I'll give you a point for the the person's name, so the character's name, and obviously a point for the film if you if you it's can a identify real game. the two. Like, this is a real game. Ooh. So, without further ado, the Scream Queen quiz will begin. <laughs> Here is soundbite number one. Ooh, it had a little little something on the end. Do we want to hear this one again? Or are we ready to to give an answer, do we think? Mm, I think maybe one more time, just to be on the safe side, yeah. Okay, and for those playing at home as well, uh, I will give you the answers at the end, but play along. Now, I don't know if Mariam's getting outside help here or if uh, <laughs> I saw her take the headphones off, but I feel like she's trying to get someone in on this. <laughs> uh, of course not. Well, it, it's, it's, it was confusing to me because the first time I heard it, I heard like a, a crunch, which made me think, well, maybe it's an animal of sorts. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. but then it sounded like more like wood or something. So maybe it is just the space Ooh. and there's no animal. Um Interesting. I don't know. You know what to do here. Um, yeah, I, I literally, the first time around, I was like, oh, it sounds like a wolf something. And mm. then second time around, I was like, is that Jamie Lee Curtis in the closet in Halloween? Yeah, yeah I was going to say is Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what are your answers, guys? It's Laurie Strode in the first Halloween film. Same. <laughs> well done. You get two points each, guys. It is indeed. <laughs> Nate, you've got one, Marianne. We're, we're on to a good start here. The only one I'm probably going to get. <laughs> <laughs> I wasted it. 
<laughs> amazing, amazing. Uh, right, okay. Scream number two. Here we go. I will say probably one of the greatest screams in horror history right there. But yeah, she goes on a bit. She's got some lungs. Wow. Uh, And (laughs) the thunder kind of threw me off. Um, Yeah, the thunder. Well, but it's a hinge. Otherwise, it would have just been a scream. So I'm trying to think what what ends with like a storm. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I feel like I've heard this scream recently as well. Right, just because it may be no. Um, my default answer, uh, Kirsty Cotton Hellraiser. <laughs> okay, that's your answer, Liam. Uh, what about you, Mariam? Um, I was gonna say, I don't know the name of the character, but Friday the Thirteenth. Okay, unfortunately, both are incorrect. It's oh. actually Casey Becker's mother in the opening of Scream. Oh. She sees Drew Barrymore hung up in the in the tree, and she just belts I, that scream I out have, for us. I have heard that recently. You have, yeah, <laughs> was literally last episode, Liam. So you, you're doing terrible here. Okay, Scream number three. This one might be a little easier. If you if you listen, you might have a clue in there. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Okay, we saw a flurry of activity there. I think Mariam might have an answer for this one, so I'm going to come to you first. Was it the signing? And do you know the character's name? Ah, oh, damn it. Uh, her name is... Uh, Liam knows her name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll split this one. Wendy. Is it Wendy no, Torrance? Is it yeah. Wendy? Yeah, yeah. Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall. <laughs> I'll give that to both of you. You're oh, quietly tying, guys. You see, you're doing well so far. I think this one might throw you. Personally, I find this one quite hilarious to listen to. So here we go. Scream well, number four. I'm happy I got I got two right. If I get none other right from this point on, I feel like I've still defended my my honour. Exactly. You, you've not done terribly. I, I'm not going to get an email from your agent saying that I need to cut this section of the podcast <laughs> afterwards. Cut um, it all. <laughs> here's scream number four. It goes on a bit. I do apologise, but I think you, I think you both have have that an idea. I think midsummer. It is indeed. And do, you, yeah. do we know the character's name? Did you say a bunch of women? Nope. A bu- her name is a bunch of women. <laughs> her name is a bunch of women. Points for both of us. <laughs> I can't remember her name. No, no, I'm terrible with names. No, I'm glad Liam. it's Florence Pugh. It is no Florence Pugh, but her name is Danny. Ah. this so ah. i will give you both one point i'm gonna be i do super i will say i feel like that's something we should all do together at some point like i really <laughs> like the idea scream. of having us just getting into a room and having a communal <laughs> oh <laughs> well, we said horror and well-being let's just collectively <laughs> just scream together I'm amazing let's do it <laughs> right okay number five uh here we go <laughs> Oh, 
Okay, Mariam, you've got a smile on your face. I think it's the Wizard of Oz. Is it? Is it the Wizard of Oz? The and the character? The, the, Wicked Witch the, of the West. Wicked Witches of the West. Yeah, that was... <laughs> well done. Well what done. A, what a weird one. <laughs> I, at first, I, I knew what it was, but I was like, no, it can't be because we're not... We're, it won't be that. Like, I, why would it be that? But then we're a gay podcast, so why wouldn't it be exactly. the Exactly. <laughs> friends of Dorothy right here. So uh, it I, is I the Wicked Witch of the West. so many times. I was like, oh, my God, this is my spirit <laughs> animal. All right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> You're looking a bit green animal. today. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm on uh, fire. <laughs> Melting away. This is it. I had to cut out the bit where she literally goes, I'm melting. Because I was like, you're going to get that straight away. But uh, well done. Okay. This one is is a fun one. Oh, help me. Help, help me. Oh, hurry. Help me. Hurry up, you wimp. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that is. What is that? Do, do you have an idea, Liam? Is it Death Becomes a... And do you know the character's name? <clears throat> no. Mad- Madeline Ashton. Madeline Ashton. You've pulled pulled ahead, Liam. I, I feel yeah. like you're going to be tying otherwise, so I'll I'm get gonna, you guys to buzz in, I think, from here. I'll have to watch that film again soon. I, I spoke about it with someone recently, but uh, it's been years, and yeah, <laughs> I need- it's going to be my weekend entertainment now. Oh, yes, thanks. 100% yes. We need a whole episode on it, don't we, Liam? Because just incredible. We do, yes. Uh, right, number seven. I think you both might have a good chance of getting this one. So the first person to to buzz in, raise hands, do whatever. I'll come to you. Here we go. I'm so sorry. That was that was quite loud. Uh, Mariam's bleeding from the ears. Um, <laughs> Liam, I think you raised what? your hand. You raised your hand again. It may be. It may be wrong. Was that Ellen Ripley? It was indeed. Do you know which film it was from? Aliens. Yes, you've got both points. Well done. Why, good for you, man. No, okay, I- this one again. I think it's a short one. It'll be fairly fast. If you know it, you'll know it. Okay, so fingers on buzzers, even though you don't have buzzers. Here we go. Are you a god? Liam again? Uh, Ghostbusters. Um, oh my god. It's not Zool. It's Goza the Gozarian. Well done. Nicely done. Okay, you're kicking ass, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> Taking names. Okay, this is uh, number nine. Here we go. Okay, li- Liam again. <laughs> That was that was Janet Y screaming at the at seeing Doctor Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It yeah. was indeed. Well done. Well done. That one, that one I recognised too, but I was I was too slow. And uh, funnily enough, I only saw it for the first time two years ago at a, a drive-in movie theater. Oh wow! Um, what a way to experience it. I That's know. Incredible. And, and what was crazy was that. Um, so it was during the pandemic and it was for a lot of people the first time since the pandemic that they had gone to the movies but it was a drive-in so for example when there was a light you know no one could take out their lighters they were in their cars everyone started flashing their cars and it was just uh everyone was dressed up and in their cars and then they pulled down the windows and they were showing their costumes oh wow that That sounds magic i mean that film alone the things it does for people is that film made me who i am today (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> he literally has fishnet tights on below camera. You just can't see them. That's... He loves like shadow play in his bedroom in front of the curtain. It's just the so, uh, date's going well. Let me show you my bed. <laughs> amazing amazing okay so we are at number 10 buzz in if you think you know the answer <coughs> it's a short one i'm not giving you too much psycho okay no. mariam's gone in with psycho. Uh, yeah. oh, well if you if you want to change you can change no it's it's not it's not like my other guess is going to be any better what, what's your other guess <laughs> i don't know give me a moment <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's fine. It's fine. Liam? I mean, I'm probably wrong. Is it The Bride of Frankenstein? Liam's got it right. It is The Bride from The Bride of Frankenstein. How That's the bloody crazy. hell did you get that? I, I yeah, I love her. <laughs> she made me who well, I am today. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have some greys coming through, so yeah. Right, here's the bonus one. Now, I'm going to say, if anyone gets this, then I'm going to say that maybe this is the one that takes takes Ooh. the win. I want to spice things up a little bit, okay? So this is a bonus clip. The only clue I'm going to give you is bear in mind that this is a queer horror podcast, okay? So, without further ado, here is the bonus clip. Die! Don't have a cow. The guys are meeting us here. <laughs> I love that clip. I have no idea what it is. I love that clip. Don't have a cow. <laughs> Don't have a I cow, Heather. Is is that? From, no, it's not. Is that from the? Um, is that Adore Delano saying something to? Is it Gia Gunn from the <laughs> horror episode of Drag Race? It is indeed, Liam. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> but you've exceeded expectations on this one. Jeez, I have pure respect for you. You, so you know your well. scream queens. That's that's what we've established. Yeah. Um, I do apologise, Mariam. You've been a wonderful guest, but you, <laughs> you did not win the scream queen <laughs> quiz. Uh, Liam, you really did take that home. So well done. I think it, it it shows you probably need to maybe I do do something else <laughs> that your social media gets a photo of him in some sort of like scream queen victory outfit is there any way you could, you could, could put just, one up and i could just maybe me in it? photoshop you on with like i feel like you need a sash maybe mm-hmm. say michelle gala just yeah. <laughs> with your face <laughs> surprise your audience um I, I insist we need to have the official scream queen uh title and i can send you my sad face and you can photoshop me as like the igor to his uh, <laughs> dr frankenstein i'll just know, put you like crouched in the background exactly. yeah and then perfect absolutely perfect Nailed on, it. A, on a table next to, <laughs> next to him <laughs> <or something. laughs> on some object in the room <laughs> well speaking of Feedback. horror stories <laughs> because that was pretty horrific uh i <laughs> Usually, obviously, on the podcast, Liam usually gives us a dramatic reading of a horror story, usually associated with the dating apps, predominantly Grinder, because it is an awful place to be sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, Mariam, I hear that you're happy to take the floor on this episode and maybe expose us to, to some true horrors you've experienced. 
So uh, it, it is semi-correct because I experienced the telling of the story Ooh. from oh, someone. Okay. <laughs> I love a good campfire story. Right. <laughs> Dim those lights. I have lots of stories. So next time I'll just have to tell another one, but Incredible. I have one for today. Happy for um, and, uh, and I can't remember if I put it on the Grim Exchange. So I don't know if Liam knows it or not. <laughs> but uh, but if, uh, if not, then um, buckle up. And I don't know how you edit these but add some spooky music. Once upon a time, a few years ago, I was sitting on a plane on the way to Manchester from, from Germany. And uh, it was a very long day. I was held up by security because I had salami in my bag and a broken <laughs> octopus. It's a it's a whole thing, <laughs> a bunch of cables because I have my interface with me. Security didn't like it. Anyway, so I almost missed my flight. I sat down. I could see your faces. <laughs> it's just, I'm sorry, I'm still not past the salami in the back. <laughs> well, the salami plays an important role because that salami is what got me this story. <laughs> okay. Oh, God, I can only begin to think where this is going to go. Okay. 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 So, sorry. So I sat down on the plane had my seat next to me there was a seat free and then the seat next to that was a gentleman now i hadn't yet eaten my salami <laughs> i'm sorry it's gonna get way more serious than yesterday. <laughs> game face I'm game face salami but it was more like a smoked tartar so it was kind of wrong <laughs> incredible <laughs> okay <clears throat> so i said excuse me sir I have this meat that I want to eat, and I want to make sure you're not vegan. I don't want to upset you by eating this smoked tartare next to you on a plane because there's no window we can open, and I didn't want to upset him. And he laughed at me, surprisingly, and he said, yeah, it's fine. Thank you for asking, but go for it. Eat it. So we got to talking, and I told him that I work in the horror industry, and the moment you tell someone that you work with spooky things, a lot of people, if not most, tend to have at least one weird story. And you can tell it's a story they usually only share either when they're drunk or if they're talking to someone they know wants to listen. And I obviously wanted to listen. <laughs> so this is that man's story. So this gentleman told me that he generally didn't believe in ghosts or any kind of supernatural phenomenon and uh and this one occurrence was the one thing that kind of shook him and made him question well what is really possible and what's really out there he told me that when he was growing up his father his grandfather passed away when he was very young and uh and because it was very painful for the family it wasn't something they spoke about very much now, his grandmother and his grandfather were very close friends to another couple. They used to have a card-playing group that met on a regular basis. <clears throat> and, um, and as time passed, you know, eventually he was in his early 20s. And the husband of this befriended couple passed away. So because they were so close, his family was also at the funeral of the couple's family, the gentleman's family. And his grandmother, this was a lifelong friend of hers, she was extremely upset and she drank a lot of alcohol that night. 
So did he. And he said that in the state they were in, they had the most open conversation he had ever had with his grandmother before. You know, he was a young man, an adult, young adult. They were both drunk. They were both in this very vulnerable, honest place. And they were just talking about everything. So he considered this to be the moment to finally ask his grandmother about how his grandfather passed. And he said, you know, how, how did he die? No one ever really explained it to me. And she said it was very, very tragic. He was standing in the kitchen, making a sandwich, and suddenly he just falls over. His head hits the edge of the counter, boom, lands on the floor, and he's dead. And, uh, and he thought that was very upsetting, but, you know, he thanked her for opening up about it. And, you know, it was what it was. Nine months passed, about, and uh, suddenly his grandmother passes away. And weirdly enough, the exact same way. She's making a sandwich in her kitchen. She suddenly falls over, head hits the edge of the counter, and she hits the ground dead. So he's standing with his parents and he says, how weird is that, that, that grandma died the exact same way as grandpa did? And they say, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, the, the kitchen, the sandwich, the counter, it's, it's, it's really the exact same story. And, uh, and, his, and his parents said, well, you were too young to remember, but your grandfather was very sick and, and died in the hospital. And it was then that he realized that his grandmother foresaw her own death nine months prior. <sighs> oh, my Lord. I've just got chills. No. <laughs> Here you go. Stick that into your pipe and smoke it with a cloth. <laughs> I mean, I was expecting the plot twist to be that they were making a salami sandwich. I think that would have just been the, the nail in the coffin, yeah. Tartar, bitches. <laughs> that is absolutely terrifying. I, I think you've I think you've exceeded my expectations on how chilling that actually would be. So thank you. Anytime, oh, man. God, things like that. I mean, we, we just posted on our Instagram today about whether or not people believe in the supernatural and... I don't know. We've we've had like a ton of messages of people actually saying like legit things that have happened to them, and it's a Love scary it. place, guys. It's a scary, scary place <laughs> out there. <laughs> but I mean, are ghosts really scarier than like people? People, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it depends on how they were when they were alive. I mean, that, <laughs> probably... I would. I can't wait to be a ghost. <laughs> You're going to be a fabulous ghost. I can I'm going to be. Uh, in... <laughs> I'm going to be. I'm going to be. You'll current. be like Jimbo the drag clown, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be like Carrington from Casper the Friendly Ghost, just this chain smoking evil old hag who just who just insults people. I wanna be that ghost who like somebody's in the mirror and I just pop out and I'd be like, You've got splints and I'm just go. <laughs> I, I love that. Thank you so much for, for bringing yeah, that to us. Um, I'm probably not going to sleep too well tonight, but thank you. Much appreciated. I mean, the only other thing that I can think of to, to say, Liam, is I know that we also mentioned maybe that you did have a book recommendation for this month. Yes. That you possibly wanted to, to mention before we, we wrap things up. Yeah. So uh, for anybody following the Super Freak Media socials, you'll see that we started our little book club, which is basically the same thing as I do on this podcast is I tell you a book to read every month and you go and read it. But it's a little bit more in depth and I go into why I think you should read it. Uh, This month uh, is a fantastic book called Clown in a Cornfield by 
Adam, now forgive me, it's either Caesar or Cesare. And I can't. <laughs> oh, I prefer Cesare. Yeah. That sounds very, yeah. very uh, opulent. I am both Caesar Cesare. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's an incredible, like, throwback it's like a nostalgic feeling slasher but also very modern it, it tiptoes both lines very well and again as always i completely judged a book by its cover the cover art to it is absolutely stunning and it reminds me of those old like 80s horror books it's got like this oh, just this beautiful color palette um but it includes an incredible final girl slash scream queen in there it features twists and turns that I never expected to happen. Uh, it does feature a clown and it does feature a cornfield. So pretty much it just delivers what it, says what it promises. Book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a sequel in the works as well uh, due to come out this year. And I'm really excited because when I finished this, I was like, I was like sitting there stunned for a few moments because I haven't enjoyed a book this much in a while. I mean, I enjoy most books that I read, but like, this book for me is like surpassed anything I've read in like the last five years. Wow. It's so good. Okay. Amazing. Take and, a photo of that too. Yeah. Features features a very high body count, which I wasn't Always expecting. Because it was, it was um, when I went on Goodreads, it was actually marketed as a young adult horror novel. And it nothing about it to me screams young adult. When I think of young adult, I think of things like Percy Jackson, and it was <laughs> yeah. it was nothing of the sort. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! Uh, this is actually a book that I've also ordered and is on the way, so I might actually have read it and have some thoughts by next podcast, as opposed mm. to me just going, "Yeah, that sounds great, mate. That sounds awesome." Yeah. So basically, what I'm saying right now, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're being me on this podcast episode, Marion. That's and also. <laughs> Um, just for anybody out there who does like just the, you know, the topic of the podcast this month is Final Girls and Screen Queens. And there are some fantastic books out there, both nonfiction and fiction. Uh, most recently, there's a great book by Grady Hendrix called The Final Girls Support Club. Um, it's full of Easter eggs to, you know, the Scream Queens on screen that we know and love. Um, but also tells a really, really compelling story about trauma and pts not to sound like jamie lee curtis but yeah um <laughs> trauma <laughs> yeah it is it's incredible and there's also um a great non-fiction book that explores the trope of the final girl which has completely gone out of my head now and i wrote it down but i can't find my notes so. i yeah. thought you were gonna also maybe recommend kelly Rowland's autobiography Friday! funny you should say that because when we are talking about final girls um she does get overlooked i mean not many scream queens can turn around and tell you know this horrible evil killer you're wearing a f***ity christmas sweater like <laughs> that to me i mean she's the ultimate scream queen just for that and um shout out to like kelly Rowland adjacent um, Michelle Williams just been a mass on the mass singer, so way amazing. <laughs> <laughs> nice segue there, nice segue. Um, do you have any uh, recommendations? Putting you on the spot a bit, Marion, but anything that's kind of caught your eye in the last month, horror-wise, that you'd uh, recommend to our listeners? Well, uh, I only just started, but I, <laughs> I guess <laughs> if, if you want to ask, I just uh, start because I just bought the the book uh, Clown in a Cornfield because it it sounded so cool that I just bought it so I don't forget it. So <laughs> once I read it, I'll let you know. But I've just uh, started a book called um, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs by uh, Caitlin <laughs> Doughty. And basically it's a, it's a collection of 
questions that are somehow related to death and then the person researched the answers to those questions uh questions like will my cat eat my eyeball <laughs> so it's not it's not it's non-fiction but i do think that if you're a horror fan and and you're kind of interested in more morbid stuff this is a fun read it's the sort of factoids i think i need the answers to to be honest so uh I, <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm know, definitely gonna have to check parties, that out yeah. <laughs> yeah. did you know your cat <laughs> won't eat your eyeballs yeah <laughs> I think they will, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Plot twist. <laughs> I'm looking at my cat right now, and she's nodding. Or is it? Yeah, I was going to say, or is your cat looking at you? Oh, That's God, what you need no. to ask. I'm going to salt. I'm going to spice your eyeballs. You <laughs> Licking her lips, and she's got a knife and fork. Like, no. <laughs> Bad <What>? pussy. <laughs> Well, this podcast went in a direction I did not think we'd uh, we'd go, best but I, the best direction. But I do. I just want to say, wrapping things up, a massive thank you, Mariam, for joining us on the podcast this month. It's always amazing to catch up with you. You're an absolute dream, and uh, good luck, obviously, with everything that you've Absolutely. been telling us about. Um, where can people find you? Where can people find what you're up to? This is your moment to plug away. Tell I'm tell our viewers. Finally. Okay, everyone, <laughs> listen up. Take out your pencils and paper because I am <laughs> I think I think the best platform would be uh Instagram. I'm lady underscore Mariam underscore Michael. And Mariam is written like Maria with a second M. So not Miriam and not Marion. It's Mariam. So uh lady underscore Mariam underscore Michael. And you can see a whole bunch of pictures of me or the horror stuff i recently uh posted a a picture of my um my ouija cutting board with a selection of cheeses and uh i think fruit was on that is that Um, a salami on there as well i can see (laughs) it is it is a salami so yeah cheese salami and the occult i mean what can what can better that I, we, we were joking that when I cut it, you know, I might accidentally call some sort of like tapas demon or something. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I might be possessed because I freaking love tapas, but no. <laughs> cheesy jokes aside, uh, it was no, it's it's fantastic. So if you want to see a little bit of, of of how I live and what I'm working on, it's always good to just look at my Instagram and kind of see what's up. Awesome source. Uh, well, I already follow you, and uh, obviously, I love seeing what you're up to and mm. i can't wait to see uh, what's next for you i know that there's a lot uh, on the way so keep yeah. your eyes peeled yeah. folks yeah. and um i guess there's not really much else left to say other than uh, happy women in horror month and and happy lgbt plus history month for those in- who are celebrating in the uk indeed indeed it's uh, this month is packed out there's a lot to celebrate and commemorate and it's black history month as well isn't it in the uh, US. in the US, us that's correct um, yeah. yeah but so uh, yes, I'll lots to, to celebrate yeah. and be thankful for. Uh, next month, we're going to be jumping on the Buffy bandwagon because it's going to be 25 years since Miss Summers <laughs> slayed her way onto our screens. Uh, so I can't wait to discuss that, discuss everything I also, I to do a, with uh, Sunnydale. Pre-warning to everyone, I have a lot of thoughts. Um <laughs> This, this show meant a lot to me, still does. And um, just strap yourselves in because it's, you might be here for a while on that one. <laughs> Three hour special. If you ever do a, a charmed episode, you can get me back on because that's something I would definitely want to chat about. Yes. <laughs> yes okay. Please. Deal. 
deal. We've uh, yeah. again another contract just made on the podcast. Amazing. Crap, another <laughs> no backing out now. No backing out. Um, but yes, we will be back again next month. Thank you so much as always for the support on this podcast. And if it's okay, I'm going to hand it over to Mariam to sign us off today. Well, guys, I'm Lady Mariam, and thank you for listening to the Their Queer Podcast. Closets were not made for people. They were made for monsters and babysitter killers. Take care, y'all. show your support be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and you can find us on social media in the links in the description of this episode thank you for listening